Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, fellow Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. This is another one of your spinoff episodes for Believe in Wizards draft. Uh, If you're looking for the main pod, Jihadi and I will be getting back together on Thursday of this week. At least that's the plan. Always tough with people's sort of end of season schedules and things like that to sync up. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll be getting back to like more overall wizard stuff. So if you're interested in draft coverage, I got a great one for you here today. My guest, Erson Demir, is going to come on and talk to us about NBA draft prospects specifically that play sort of the air quotes power forward position. This sort of new era of positionless basketball makes it harder to break these guys up into sort of neat little boxes draft wise. So feel free to resist the urge to to tweet after and say, oh, you put Leonard Miller in this convo and I think he's a three or a small ball five and you have him as a four. Like just trying to find a good way to kind of break these guys up with sort of um, prospects that that might have similar roles to them in the NBA. So a lot of the guys today are people that are maybe switchable enough to play on the perimeter a little bit, but also um, physical enough and rim protectory enough to maybe play a little bit around the hoop too. So sort of blending that line between, um, you know, mostly the power forward spot, but the ability to scale up or down accordingly based on their respective skill sets. So uh, we'll get into a little bit more about which guys are in which groups and why as we go here today. And then going to talk through specifically sort of their respective fits for the Wizards. And I think that's really interesting for this position because, you know, if we're about to invest heavily in Chris Tapps Porzingis uh, with a long-term deal, you kind of need the ideal person next to him. Like he has a specific skill set and he's really good at what he does, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to use one of these draft picks to find someone that complements him better long-term than Gafford does. I mean, to be honest with you, that sort of combo worked as about as well as it could. And Jihadi and I have talked about this. It's just probably not sustainable long-term to kind of keep expecting both of your drop coverage centers to play next to each other, you know, longer term and be a competitive modern NBA team on offense and defense. So some of these guys we're going to talk to might just be like the ideal compliments to Porzingis. And if some of the guys, I know everyone loves point guards. I always in, in this draft specifically, and I always want a wing, but it might not be the worst thing in the world. And I'm coming around to the idea of, of taking one of these particular guys as we go through it next to um, the front court players we're intending to bring back for next year. And, and maybe that makes you a, a better fit and and hide some of the weaknesses and complement some of the strengths. So we'll get into that. As always, we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and they're specifically their Surfside hard iced teas, hard lemonades, hard et ceteras. They're all delicious. It doesn't matter what flavor you get. You get them pretty much anywhere in the DMV or at least the DM part of, of the DMV right now, kind of spreading to Virginia more and more as we speak. So yeah, go out and get a couple of those. And um, if this depresses you, any of this draft talk about all the holes the Wizards have to fill always goes down easier if you got a nice a nice beverage with you. Also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball stats, info, news, scores, etc. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. 
Head to the website today to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, as I mentioned, I've got Erson Demir coming on with me, and he and I are going to talk through just, you know, what do the fours look like in this particular draft? He's a writer for NBA Draft Junkies. He works for Shot Quality. Really smart guy. One of the best Twitter follows if you like draft stuff. Really good use of video to kind of make his specific points about players. So he really backs up, hey, here's what I think and why. And I think that's kind of hard to find with, with draft coverage a lot of times. So great follow. His uh, Twitter handle will be in the episode description for this. So uh, again, if you like this kind of content, um, definitely check him out. He's super knowledgeable and I think it'll be a great combo. So uh, stay tuned. All right. It is my pleasure to bring on my absolute favorite follow on Wizards Draft. Well, Absolute favorite follow on draft Twitter in general here, but a guy that actually um, pays attention to the Wizards a little bit here just to, to help me out at the very least. Uh, Arison, thank you for coming on here, man. Um, you do a great job covering the draft, and I said it in the intro, but as much as anybody, you do a really good job of like, here's my take on somebody, but also here's video to back up that point. And, and I think that makes it really easy for people to understand and digest. So uh, thank you for all the great content. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, man, for having me, Matt, and thanks for the nice words. I was looking forward to recording this podcast with you, so let's do it, man. I'm ready. I mentioned uh, for folks in the intro here, we're going to do kind of the the air quotes, the fours here uh, in the draft, but we'll get more into what specific roles these guys will fill and stuff like that. But just for kind of easy grouping, got a list of people here. Um, specifically, I think the Wizards are going to double down uh, with Porzingis and, and probably Kyle Kuzma again. So we can talk a little bit about which of these guys maybe makes the most sense with the rest of that front court. And I've got them kind of listed out here based on rookie scales, consensus, big board, just sort of their their order. So if you're wondering why we're going through these in, in this order, this is kind of how they have them ranked. But we can talk about where we see them and how we value them and, and that sort of thing as we go. But Maybe let's just start out with Jarris Walker. I think most people who are aware of the draft, at least, have heard that name at this point. He's a freshman at the University of Houston, six foot eight. He's currently sixth on that consensus uh, mock draft big board. I've, I've talked a little bit about Walker on the pod. One of the few guys on this list I've actually gotten to see in person this year. Uh, Arison, maybe you start us off here a little bit. Um, first of all, what kind of player is Walker? What do you see him doing in the NBA? Uh, the NBA and kind of how do you feel about him as a prospect? Well, as a prospect, I think the first thing that you have to consider is what are you betting on? Do you want a guy with a high floor? Mm. Do you want to swing for the fences, go for a guy with the highest ceiling as possible? And I think with Jarris Walker, the most and foremost thing you're getting is, I think, one of the best complimentary pieces that you're going to find in this draft. Yep. I think you measured it at 6'8", a super long arm, so he plays a little bit taller than he is, as cliche as it sounds, but with the wingspan over seven foot, with his strong NBA frame and toughness, I think he's a guy that can play at a five position for the Wizards. And, you know, considering that you're going to keep Porzingis, and I saw a rumor that he's going to decline his team option and assign to a new contract. I think that's mm -hmm. the best move for the Wizards long term. You have to find a guy that's going to make your team as a whole better. And hide some of Porzingis' flaws, which to me is his rim presence. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at the basic stats on the NBA, he's, you're going to say, okay, he's doing very well at the rim. But I think playing real defense is not his biggest strength. And to make the Wizards into a 
a high playing team, maybe a six five seat at the next season potentially is getting a better player at the five position. I think that's the most important area besides the the point guard. But I think the center position is a little bit more, you know, important. And with yeah. Jarris Walker, I think what I like about him, what I, what I can see translating on day one, is his defensive versatility in terms of he can, you know, impact passing lanes. He can play the four, he can play the five, he can guard in space. It's not his biggest strength, but mm. overall you're getting a versatile defensive player that's going to be team first. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's an excellent play finisher. And I like his screening a lot. I think down the stretch, and the Wizards do need some improvement for three-point shooting as a whole, besides having solid shooting wings. But in terms of you know bringing the whole team to the next level, we have to improve as a shooter from the center position. You know, Gafford is a non-shooter. Porzingis like to shoot it. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good shooter, but with him, it's very predictable. Yeah. You know, if the Wizards try to play four out five hours, you know who's going to get the ball. If it's the floor, especially if you get some solid space around him, they're going to find Porzingis, which he's going to attack the close. I don't know if he's going to train the three. But with Jarrett Walker, I think it's give Wes Olsell Jr. a lot more options down the stretch. I think if I look at Gafford, I don't think he's being used as a passer very often. Agreed. Especially in the post, in the short role. I think when I watched limited tape of the Wizards this season, but what I saw is short role playmaking isn't this team's well. Yeah, it isn't not, really not there, there at all, pretty much. Yeah. And I think with Jazz Walker, you're getting an excellent short role playmaker. I think his instincts and his view for the game are remarkable for his age. That's why I'm confident in saying that, you know, it's going to translate on day one, but he has to go to the right team. Of course, it goes for every player, but I think Jarrett Walker is most in his best qualities if he's going to be as a serviceable player, as a team's most important complementary player on the defensive. And I think in terms of the defense, we've spoken about it. And in terms of the offense, what I like about him is, is you know, his screening. He's an excellent pick and roll option. I think he can add a three to his game, a reliable three to his game. If you look at the numbers, it was about 40%, I think, early in the year. And then it, during the year, it regressed naturally. But I don't think he's a really good shooter right now. But uh, the shot looks promising. I think he's going to be a good shooter in the NBA down the stretch. Not a great shooter, but a good shooter. But the biggest qualities I see for Jazz Walker in the NBA is his short ball playmaking, his quick decision-making, and his screening. I think he's a very versatile player, especially in the defensive end. On the offensive end, he needs some improvement, but he's still 19 years old, right? So you're not getting a perfect player with uh, maybe the eighth or ninth pick. So... Looking at his flaws, I don't see any worries at all for Jazz Walker. I think he's going to be a very high floor player. Regarding the ceiling, I don't really see an all-star in him, to be honest. Agreed. Yeah. Because of the role he's going to play. But you never know how it goes. But the signs he's giving now, he's going to be maybe the best role player in this draft alone. And I think that's something that if the Wizards pick at 8 or 9, he's still there, that the Wizards should do, you know especially if you're going to keep parsing this. I think there are a lot of Wizards fans listening to this that will say, all right, Jairus Walker, we just talked about him as maybe high floor, but lower ceiling. We've just drafted a couple of those in a row. Do we want to go that route again? And and that would be sort of my question for him is like, what what's the best version of Jairus Walker? To me, he's like a fourth, fifth starter kind of guy. And, and he does compliment Porzingis well to your point where I think he's the guy who can do the dirty work that Porzingis isn't, particularly adept at he's going to be the rebounder and but 
you need somebody that's can protect the rim, but also switch a little bit more on the perimeter than someone like Gafford can. And if they can stretch the floor, I think that's even a bigger bonus. Like Porzingis covers up for that a little bit to some extent. But if you've got now, like you said, you can go five out because everybody can shoot it a little bit. I think that would be huge for you. Um, so I got to see Walker in person. I actually buy the shot. I, the, again, the percentages were were solid-ish for most of the year. He finished the year uh, 34.7% from three, only 66% from three uh, free throw line. But I think he has like decent touch. I, I see that translating again for anybody listening. If you're still paying attention to this, Jairus Walker from Houston. Just want to keep reiterating who we're talking about for, for folks listening to make that a little easier. Average about 11 points, seven rebounds on one of the best teams in the country, but like one and a half blocks, one steal, pretty active in a lot of ways. And I think you nailed it. He can he can impact the game in multiple ways, but also not the kind of guy that I ever see like taking over a game specifically. So yeah. if if you're the Wizards and you land in the top four and you win the lottery here to some extent, this isn't a guy I'd be willing to take. But at nine, I think that's... You know, he's a reasonable bet because he could probably fit in with any lineup. If you don't keep Porzingis, you don't keep Kuzma, whatever, you, you can kind of mold him to fit the rest of the roster. Um, and, and I think that's probably his biggest advantage is he's just, he's a guy that will make sense in almost any context. Is, is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You nailed on that. I totally agree with you. Uh, that's, again, like good, I think, at, at, at like the ninth, tenth pick, not top four guy. Um, the next person here I think is a little interesting and someone I've come around on a little bit more here lately. Um, and by that, I mean, I watched three of his games earlier today and maybe it's recency bias, but, uh, Taylor Hendricks, freshman from central Florida, six foot nine, like to me, he just looks a little bigger and longer and honestly, maybe even more athletic than Walker. I think the shooting I already buy a little bit more. So I'm coming around on the idea of Hendricks as a higher upside uh, player than than Walker, but I actually don't know that the floor is that much lower. I, I think um, from what I saw more so today, I feel more confident about his ability to both protect the rim, but also defend in space. I think where he got into trouble wasn't actually staying in front of a quicker guard. It was once he had stopped them or cut them off, he would like bite on pump fakes or chase a block. And to me, like, that's a very, like, coachable, correctable thing. It's just discipline and watching film and knowing personnel. And that's, like, a very easy thing for, like, a freshman to do poorly that I, I think you could work on. Like, Walker's probably a more disciplined defender already. But I think even defensively, Hendricks might have more defensive upside. So I guess th that's my initial take on Hendricks. What are your what are your kind of thoughts on him so far? Well, regarding Taylor Hendricks, I remember when preparing for this college season that just ended, it was, you know, around this time last year. Mm -hmm. And I was watching Taylor Hendricks and I was like, okay, this guy can be someone in the Furious. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's going to be a one and done. Sure. Because I wasn't on that boat. Yep. Because when I looked at him, I just, the fluidity is how he moves. I was like, man, this guy is how old? Maybe 17, 18. Mm -hmm. Look how fluid he moves. I think he has all the the physical tools to be in the NBA, but in terms of feel for the game, the decision-making, it was just bad. Mm -hmm. And There's still some of that, by the way, too, I think. Yeah, and he still has it. And, you know, just like you say, it's just okay for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old to have these flaws because those are fixable. 
But when it comes to Taylor Hendricks, I like him, man. I like him a lot as uh, more of, if you want to bet on potential, mm-hmm. potentially a bigger role, I would prefer him over Jairus Walker, Same. mainly because I think the three-point shooting is legit. I love the jumping. Beautiful high release, and especially in the catch and shoot. And he has some decent handles for the size as well. I think the handle is something that is going to be improved at the next level. I didn't notice main... that the first few times watching him through and then seeing him again today. I'm like, oh, he can actually take people yeah. off the dribble a little bit. Like I, I it was more developed than I than I kind of initially realized, I think. Yeah, exactly. That was caught my attention as well, especially if you compare the high school film, because the high school level wasn't good. Yeah. And he went to UCV and, you know, all respect to them is, is not a good team either. So <laughs> it was tough for him to showcase his whole package. But on the other hand, he had the, the potential and the opportunity to showcase his whole package, and he did. You know, he was flying up on draft boards, yeah, all of a sudden. And I wasn't on that boat. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you know, especially when more people talk were talking about him, I was like, okay, I still have some doubts about him. But as the season progressed, he got better in almost every game he played. Yep. And especially like the two games against Houston. First game, I think it was... It was not a good game for him, but mm-hmm. second game, he more than made up for it. But it's not about production, you know, because when it comes to these guys, I'm trying to ignore production as much as I can. I'm trying to, you know, figure out which type of role that's going to play. And you know, when I look at Taylor Hendricks, I think his NBA role is more so going to be as a spot-up shooter and as a floor spacing wing forward as a spot-up shooter, because I think he's going to be playing mainly the three, I think, at the next level. Switch between three and four. Mm-hmm. I think the five is something that he can do, especially if he box up, but isn't his biggest strength? I don't think it's going to be his biggest strength. I think the fluidity with which he moves, the ball handling, that's any of them improvement, but all the, the building blocks are there and they're going to be one of those, you know, modern, modern forwards. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm not going to compare these guys with the sliders, because they're going to compare him to a really good player, you know, that's going to be a Hall of Famer, Chris Bosch. I think it's going not to be Miami, but, you know, the guy that's going to in the late Toronto, maybe early Miami, that mm-hmm. guy, as a shooter, as a floor spacer. I think in the pick and roll, he's going to be a very effective option. Regarding the Wizards, I don't think the Wizards have a good pick and roll playmaker right now, so that might be a concern blocking his development if he goes to the Wizards. And regarding Taylor Hendricks, I think the, the potential is there, but I struggle to find a real, realistic role for him in the NBA. So that's why I think the team that's going to be it is going to be crucial. Everyone's talking about Dallas, but is he going to get the ball in his hands? I think he's going to be a player that needs the ball in his hand a little bit more mm-hmm. to, you know, get the most out of his potential, this untapped potential, but. If you look at his day on day one, he's going to be a very good floor spacing shooter, mainly going to play the four. His defensive versatility is going to be mainly guarding maybe two to four. I don't see him really guarding a five. Yeah, small ball say, five maybe with some bench players yeah, exactly. and stuff. Yeah. Exactly, because the passing is good. I don't think it's at the, at the level of Jarris Walker. I think Jarris Walker is definitely the better passer between mm-hmm. those two. But as a smaller five, I think you have to be a good passer to make these types of schemes successful. Excellent. That's why I'm more confident in bending on Jazz Walker on that end. But if you're going to maybe 
give him a role like who's mad. It's a three or as a four. So I'm really glad you yeah. just said that because that's exactly where I wanted to take this. I think Wizards fans are split on what the Wizards should do with Porzingis longer term. Like I'm, I'm an unapologetic uh, Kuzma homer, so I'd love to see him back. Obviously, for the right amount of money. Like I, I'm not suggesting you know break the bank to do it, but Hendricks is a guy to me that like gives just enough of that like kind of Kuzma e vibe. Except I actually think he's yeah. a better shooter right now. The handle is probably less developed, but and and the passing is probably not as good. I think Kuzma's passing was a little underrated. I know the turnovers are high, but I think that's trying to use a six ten guy as a center or as a, as a point guard. I mean, as opposed to a big, but um. Hendricks is, is to me, like, I think Walker is a better rebounder right now. Uh, I think Walker is a better sort of tertiary playmaker. Uh, but everything else, I think Hendricks is better at. I buy him better as a rim protector. I buy him defending on the perimeter more. I buy the shooting more. He was 39.5% from three this year, 78% from the free throw line. The jumper just, I think you mentioned this, looks translatable from day one at the very least. Um, he could bulk up and maybe guard some fives. I think he is laterally good enough to guard some some threes. To me, like Kuzma was a much better defender of guards this year than I thought he would have to be. Like I didn't expect him to be the guy that we would put on Trey Young or Dame Lillard or things like that. But but he did it at a reasonable level. I think Hendricks is like good enough laterally to do that same kind of stuff. And if you could put the two of them together, um, that maybe helps cover up some of Porzingis's shortcomings, but also some of Kuzma's shortcomings. And then you have this like flexible, modern or more modern, you know, front court rotation. Yeah. So I, I'm like really coming around to his fit here too, because we, we talked about their need for spacing. If Kuzma's not going to be super efficient as a shooter, maybe if he's got more shooting next to him, he, he doesn't have to to do as much and and can take some better shots. So I just think now it's three front court guys you have to respect, you have to like close out on. Um, it, it would give them a lot more versatility and and add another dimension to their offense. So um, if you're the Washington Wizards and it's the eighth pick, and both of these guys on the board, um, which one would you have? Which one would you go with um, without knowing for sure that both Porzingis and Kuzma will be back next year? Yeah, it's tough one, man, because I think it's going to depend on the context of what kind of basketball is West Ham so Junior want to play. Bad, who's just bad basketball. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Wizards are winning 35 games and then let's call it a day. We won no. 35 and then after we're, we're done. Just pack it in. quits. Yeah. We're going to pick 10 just like anyone, any year, so we start over again. Yeah. Nah, but without, uh, without the jokes, I think, um, yeah. I think you nailed on that because what I like is maybe that Holmes type of basketball. If you're going to play like that mm-hmm. and you're going to, you know, focus more on, you know, multiple screeners and, you know, play more four out, five out, I think I'm going with Taylor Hendricks, to be honest, without a doubt. The Wizards should definitely bet on, you know, the higher upside and make him prove that he can, you know, have the ball in his hands because Beal is not going to play 80 games a year. Yep. Kuzma had the ball in his hands way too much, I think. Yep. And he needs the ball in his hands to be effective. But just like you said, maybe if you're surrounded with better shooters, I think Kispert is is a wing. Kispert isn't able to play, play forward. Agreed. But with a lineup with Kispert, Hendricks, Kuzma, Porzingis, you give away some on defense, on the rebounding hand, but I think the offensive versatility and the offensive firepower is going to be great, you know, because you don't even need a 
a primary ball handler in these types of lineups. You know, you can let Kuzma have the ball in his hands. You can let Beal have the ball in his hands. Beal's not the best creator. Kuzma is either. But, you know, you can run multiple sets. At, at the end of the day, I think I think DeLon Wright is a good player. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of Monty Morris, but DeLon Wright is a very good player in terms of... Wizards fans would probably be in agreement so far with you, by the way. Um, keep going. <laughs> I like him, man, because he's not going to be a star point guard. But sure. the 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 Wizards should be Porzingis and Bill's team. Maybe Bill one, Porzingis two, and that's three is up for discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think Kuzma is it right now. But to me personally, I don't follow the Wizards, of course, just as closely as you do. But sure. I would bring them back both, yeah. both of them, and try to you know spend as less of the cap as you can, and you know give Kispert some more a slightly bigger role. Because I think he's a very good player, man. He really shown it this season that he belongs in the NBA and can maybe the fourth or the fifth man on this team. And you know, you gotta let him compete for four and five with Hendricks. I think I would lean towards Hendricks. You're right. You, the Wizards have to have a year where they bet on potential, long-term potential, and bigger role than you know, go for the high-end role player for the stars. That are not going to play 80 games in a Porzingis not going to play 80. Peter's not going to play 80. I would go with Taylor Hendricks, to be honest. But if they go with Jarris Walker and they send maybe Kuzma away and they try something new, I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. But to me personally, I think they're both coming back. I would go with Taylor Hendricks between the two. See, and, and that's that's what's so interesting to me about what this GM search will do for them. Like, the, I think the previous regime, if Walker was on the board, he would have been the guy. He was productive. Yeah. He played on a good team. Like you mentioned production and not caring about that much. Like Rob, Rob box score, Hendricks put up bigger numbers than Walker did. You know, Hendricks was 15 and seven. Uh, Walker was 12 and or 11 and seven. Uh, and the Wizards old front office seemed to say that they cared a lot about production. But Walker's productive enough for them to have justified that. But he would have been highest on the available draft board from, from ESPN at the time. And he would have been um, sort of the the high floor guy. To me, I actually like Hendricks's floor. At the very least, he's a pretty mobile big who shoots it. Like you can always use that in the NBA. And maybe he develops into more. So if you don't keep Porzingis and you don't keep Kuzma, you're probably not as good next year anyway. And it's not like they were that good this year, but they could afford to let him, to your point, have the ball in his hands a little bit more, explore if he can create a little bit of, of stuff. And um, he's just like the bigger upside swing in, in my opinion for them without sacrificing like the floor. And, and one of the guys we'll get here too in a minute, I think is maybe even a bigger upside swing, but, yeah. but a much lower floor than both of these guys in, in my opinion. Yeah. So, sorry, dude, I have one more thing that I wanted to add. Yeah, please. So just going through my mind, man, because yeah. when I watched the wizards for the limited teams of us, was, I saw one coming back in each game and in each game they lost it was the opposing team was targeting Pozingas mm-hmm. and the Wizards didn't have the help defense to cover it up yep. and they overcommit and they always give up three point shooting attempts wide open trees and in the games they won it was close wins but maybe the opposing team shooting below average yeah. and what giving me the edge over Hendricks in another subject is the help defense. I think mm. that's something we haven't spoken about with Hendricks. I think he's one of the best help defenders in this class. That's huge. But the other stuff is 
the most of his games were not at a high enough level compared to Houston. But mm-hmm. in the big games, especially against Houston, that's something that you know that stood by me because he he was doing the right stuff. He was making the right reads, executing it was maybe a little less, but you saw the idea. But he wasn't surrounded with players that thought the same way. And Houston is a competing team. I think in terms of feel for the game, in terms of coaching staff, they have the, they have the edge naturally, but. I think as a help defender, especially if you're going to pair with a guy like Pozingis, I think Taylor Hand is going to bring a lot more on the long run. That's a great point. And and the Houston coaching, like they can make anybody look pretty good yeah. defensively. Yes. And, and Defensive schemes are incredible, man. And exactly. that's not UCF's game, but Houston was built that on the size guards and you barely notice they're there. So you I might think have... that's the context that we have to yeah. put some more when talking about Hendricks. And a lot of people that, you know, do these podcasts or something like that, I think, think they focus on the health defense a little bit less because I think in today's NBA, when it's all about switchability, it's about awareness and, and health defense, man. I think that's going to be a big role. And I think that's one of the main reasons why people in general are so high on Taylor Hendricks. And all of a sudden, because that's what pop, pops when we look at him on film. But sorry to interrupt, man. There was something I wanted to add when no, about, I think that's uh, Hendricks. That's a great point. And and just piggybacking off of that, like Walker, because of that good coaching, might come in and be the better defensive guy right away. But Hendricks was pretty good defensively without the elite help around him and more people he had to cover up for and the same kind of coaching to cover yeah. up some stuff for him. So I, I think the ceiling there is probably higher. And this is a little cliche and you know, the more analytically focused um, people listening to this might might not love this this throw on, but it does matter to me. There were a couple times this year where Hendricks would like, you know, bully somebody in the paint and give them the too small as he runs down the court. Or um, I, I watched their game against UNC Asheville earlier today, so this is fresh in my mind against Drew Pember, who's a very very good college player. Um, you know, Hendricks like put a shoulder into his chest and then flexed immediately after, like you know, having a putback layup, and it's like. I actually like shit like that. And the, it's something yeah. that the Wizards don't re- like this. We've drafted all nice guys. Not that he's not a nice guy, but like, I think they could use a little bit more edge. And, and I think he would provide that. Like there's some amount of like, you know, ego involved there in a good way of like, no, 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 like you're not going to best me. And he seemed to rise to the challenge against other better bigs. So um, I, I'm big on that too. Yeah. Totally agree, man. And I think that the attitude is something that you have to have in today's NBA. I'm going to name Dylan Brooks. Not that, <laughs> not that I like him, but the guy like that that everyone yeah. made. You yeah. have to have a guy like that in your team. You have to. Agreed. At some point, like being the nice guy only gets you so far and, and a little bit of edge is a good thing. Um, you need less guys like Kispert <laughs> and more guys like Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's the thing that, that Denny Abdia has provided for the Wizards yeah. um, that that sometimes maybe he takes it a little too far, but uh, you know, there's there's a willingness to want to take on some challenges and things like that. And and I think that that's something they could use a little bit more of here. Um, all right. So I, I teased this guy a little bit. We're breaking from the order here a little bit from the consensus mock. Um, next on their board was Leonard Miller at 19. I want to skip over him for a minute and just jump to yeah. to Gigi Jackson, who they had 21. Yeah. I think you're much higher. Higher on him than that 21 number is. And this is the person probably on this list I watched the least. So I, I really want you to educate me here too. But for anyone not familiar, Gigi Jackson was originally committed to UNC. 
for next year's class. He reclassified to come out a year early. So he was a um, an underaged uh, freshman at South Carolina this year. They are awful. Uh, like that's a bad team. They let him do whatever he wants. So that the context is very weird to evaluate him. And Gigi Jackson is like one of these guys that I think is talked about as like a super high upside guy, but he's probably riskier than these other two guys we just talked about. So if you've got like Walker, Hendricks, and Jackson, you could make the case that Jackson has the highest upside, but the lowest floor of the three. Uh, so I, I'm just, I'm going to let you take it away from there with, with Gigi Jackson and, and what you think of his game and, and why people should maybe be, um, myself included, watching a little bit more film of Gigi as we get ready for draft night. Man, the guy to Gigi, man, the more I watch him, the more higher I get, man. The higher I think about the next NBA all-star, at least. Wow. Okay. An all-NBA guy. That's what I see in him. But the context around him is he's 70 years old. He's playing at a very bad team in the SEC. Yeah, in the conference. SEC is something that people forget. He's playing the highest level of competition. At 17 years old, he starts, he starts the year at non-conference games. Mm -hmm. And what I value a lot in prospects, because I try to maybe, I, I'm more of an old school basketball guy. So today's NBA, it's all about switching. It's all about shooting. But I'm more so like when you need an isolation bucket, you don't call, a, you can't call a lot of names in the NBA. Sure. You can't call a lot of, you know, guys, okay, give me the bucket in crunch time. And I think mm -hmm. Gigi Jackson has all the potential to be that guy. At 70 years old, what stood by me is size 6'9". He's a very good ball handler. He's a yeah. very solid defender. I think those two are the main building blocks to be, you know, a floor-raising prospect, especially the ball handling. And having the opportunity to showcase your, your shot creation with on-ball reps, maybe pass for others. But Gigi has so many flaws in his game right now that, you know, it's hard to think, okay, I'm going to spend a top five pick on this guy. I'm going right. to hand him the keys to my franchise because he's not really given the signs that he can handle it right now. A lot of people are trying to, you know, talk about his negative body language or, mm -hmm. you know, about his immaturity on the court. And to be honest, man, when I was 16 and 17 years old, I did a lot of things I regret right now. But now I'm happy. I'm still immature on a basketball court you know, at 34. Yeah, I'm still so. a little boy right now. So I'm 30 years old sometimes. Yeah. Who cares, man? This guy is having fun. This guy is maybe afraid for what everything is going to come in his path because he's highly touted at a young age. Mm -hmm. He was dominating his own peers that he classified up. Yeah. If he doesn't classify up, he's a top five pick next year. So for him, it's not about the money either. Well, money maybe plays a role or not. I don't know him, so that's not something I'm not the guy that's going to pocket watch another man, but our mutual friend Raphael Barlow like um talks about what a great person Gigi is and yeah. like really raves about him from like a he'll he'll interview very well for NBA teams. Let's put it put it that way. I think if you look at him on the court, he's giving these signs as well because he has a type of arrogance to his game that you that you like, man, because yeah. I like these guys because they are confident. They feel like they're better than you. And they show it that they're better than you. And mm. Gigi was showing it this season at 17 years old for maybe the first 10, 15. I don't know when he turned 18, but he was 17 for a lot of games. Yeah. And he he had the ball in his hands. He, he called the shots, just like when Miami met Metropolitan. He called the shots. It was his team 
South Carolina was his team as well. And I saw one thing. He was trying a lot of things, and he was failing. But that's okay. People are mentioning the negative assisted turnover ratio. Man, I don't care about these things. I will try to, you know. It doesn't bother me know. at all from a, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, even a 20-year-old most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Because he hasn't, he don't have, he doesn't have to feel for the game. I'm going to send you a clip after the podcast about one play that I was watching for days, man. Because I was like, okay, why didn't he see it? Why didn't he see it? It was a game where he caught the ball. You know, he's trying to post up and a couple of off-ball players move and the backdoor corner launches. And he had to give the pass right away, but he didn't. He eventually found him, and he was sure. found him with a solid pass. But in the NBA, there's no chance. Yeah, you got to do it quickly. His coach is going to take him out. He's not going to give him the ball in his hands anymore. But that play summarizes Jeezy Jackson to me because the feel for the game is not there. He needs a couple of years, I think, to develop that. But what what he has is six nine advanced handles. Mm-hmm. He's a very good defender. I think he's a switchable defender. He's a very tough post defender. I think he was. He was, I think it was about which game it was. I forgot about the game. I posted it a couple of days ago. He was guarding, I don't know, the game doesn't matter, but he was guarding one of the better, you know, college big men. Was it Kentucky game when he guarded Shibwe? I think it was. I'm not sure. I think they, they had a big win over Kentucky this year. I think that kind of killed a part of Kentucky's middle of their season against Oscar Shibwe. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I forgot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you, but I think. It doesn't really matter to that point, but he was showing so many flashes, man. I think the flashes is what you buy right now. Yeah. In terms of production, I'm not valuing the production at all. Of course, he put up 20 a game at 30 when he needed to, mm-hmm. and he was rebounding ball at the very high clip. I think he's a very good rebounder, but in terms of positioning, it's not good. He's battling for all his rebounds. Yeah. But if he's positioning a slightly better, he doesn't have to battle that much. So he has a lot of flaws, but I'm at a point where I don't care about the flaws. I just seeing the, you know, the 17 year old, the 18 year old. He's going to be the youngest player in this draft. The advanced handles. He's a very good isolation scorer. He's a very good ball handler, a ball mover. But the passer is not a passer, man. I think that's his biggest flaw right now. It, the things that blocks his development for me is his passing. That's got to be better on day one, because he can be one of those guys who can. Handle the pick and roll as the ball handler and the screener, man, just like Paolo Banchero does, for example. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he can Paulo's a really yeah. good not comp for him, but but like side by side of just like yeah. you know, Paulo is bigger physically and, and more sort of um mature and ready and better feel, but is the like the tool are the tools really like that different? Like Gigi might be the better athlete of the two guys, um and, yeah, exactly. and almost as good a ball handler, but he, he doesn't pass it the way Paulo does. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's blocking him. And Paolo is maybe, how is it, 20 years old when he came into the NBA? Maybe late 19. And one year is not going to make the difference, but I think he's giving so many signs of potential stardom that I have him top five right now. I have him at number five, and I'm talking myself to put him at number four. Wow. Because when it comes to the consensus, I don't really care about the consensus. And... I don't really pay attention to a lot of draft boards either, but just mm-hmm. for, you know, amusement yep. or, you know, comparing some. But I only watch at Raphael's board, mm-hmm. at the Boxing One and the ESPN One to see where where those guys and the guys I have. But, you know, I'm not a consensus guy at all because at the end of the day, everyone has a different basketball philosophy. Yes. Sorry to change the subject a bit, no, but, but those mine things is aren't always right. scoring, man. 
mm-hmm. isolation scoring, ball landing. Those are the two things sure. I think that you have to have if you want to be a star in today's NBA. And a guy at his size, his ball handling. I think Paolo is the last one that comes to mind. And before Paolo, it takes me a moment, man. But yeah, you have to be willing to invest in him. You have to give him a couple of years. That's why I think he shouldn't go to every team. I think if you don't talk in terms of fit, I don't think Washington is a good fit because they don't. Gigi would be like te- would right be now. terrible in Washington. Yeah. I think for that reason, because they're and, not they're not going to wait for him at all. Yeah, exactly. But Utah, they will wait for him. I think Utah is the best fit for him, to be honest, because okay. you can really change that franchise, especially if they don't pick a top two player or Scoot or Victor. Mm-hmm. And maybe they fly to 10 and Gigi's there and they take him, for example. I think that's a win for Gigi, man, because he needs a couple of years, I think. He has, I think, of the guys that we spoke about, he has the highest floor and it's not really close. High ceiling, but, right? Yeah, sorry, yeah, high ceiling. And the floor is not, I don't see a floor at all, man, because a guy like that, if he doesn't show anything in the NBA for a couple of seasons, Finding a second team, maybe, but it's not going to be featured as much as his first. So, for these guys, they have the toughest roles, the toughest chances to make it. But when they make it, man, it's going to be sky's the limit for them, man. And I think, I'm not comparing these guys, but when I think about Paul George, when he came to the NBA, he developed the handle. He got the trust. And look, when he ball in his hands, look what happened to him at the Pacers. I think he's turned to the star that he is today, the two-way star. And I think Gigi... Slightly less than Paul, of course. Sorry, than uh, you know, than uh, <laughs> I'm so I'm so hyped to be talking about Gigi. Yeah, Paul, that's yeah. his name, man. I think uh-huh. he's going to be, if everything clicks, he's going to be a star in the NBA. Has potential to be an All NBA guy, but a lot of things have to click. But if you're from outside swings, you have to take a guy like him. But for the Wizards, nah, I don't think that Gigi is a good fit for the Wizards at all because in this stage, it's not something that they need. I think just given the way the Wizards have handled Isaiah Todd and his development, to me, like he and Gigi aren't the same player, but these were guys that were highly, highly recruited high school prospects and uh, obviously uh, went a different route, but showed enough flashes. And um, Todd probably doesn't have the, never had the upside that Gigi does, but it was still one of those things where he was very raw and they haven't even prioritized his development with the go go. So, um, if Gigi finds himself somehow still on the board at, you know, 41 or whatever, I'm all for the Wizards taking a huge swing at that point. But if they ended up with another pick late in the first round or something like that, I, I still think that's not even a good fit for them because they, they wouldn't yeah. seemingly know what to do with him. And and to your point, you know, he is a guy that they could in a few years like really blossom and develop, but it might be a second contract. It might be his next team. And just given the path that they've seem content to go down um or in, in, you know intend to go down like I, I don't think um he'll make sense to them even from a new gm perspective again not not a great comparison here but the person that I, i'm looking at gg jackson for from a similar scenario is Jaden mcdaniels right a guy that was younger than most of his recruiting class showed up at washington was really immature not super super like efficient with his pro- you know production but put up some numbers and now he looks like a very good pick in the 20s for somebody because Minnesota's been willing to kind of let him come along. And the NBA is probably less regimented than a lot of these college systems. So he can just play basketball and let his natural tools and gifts take over. But then you see some of the immaturity and breaking his own hand before the playoffs and things like that. Like that's, you know, Gigi may not be that 
that kind of immature, but he's still going to take time before he's he's impacting winning at the NBA level. And and a team like a Minnesota or somebody can probably more afford to to take a shot on that than someone like Washington can. Yeah, totally good. I love the comparison, man, because just like you say, you see all the raw tools, and you're just imagining what he can turn into. Yep. But you have to invest the time. And the Minnesota Timbos did that way what they should do. And he showed, you know, he showed that he can handle it. And this season was going to be the year where he's going to develop some more consistency, but yeah, it didn't turn out that way. All right. So so far we've covered Jarris Walker, six foot eight, freshman from Houston, Taylor Hendricks, six foot nine, freshman from Central Florida. And Gigi Jackson, six foot nine, super freshman, let's say, because he was even younger than those other guys for South Carolina. I think those are like the three big names that are interesting comparison wise as we're talking sort of forwards the Wizards could be interested in. These next couple guys, I probably have like lower tiers down. So maybe we can move a little faster through these for Wizards fans, but I at least want people to be kind of aware of them. So let's jump back up to the guy we skipped over here. And that's Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite. He's six foot 10, um, 19th on that consensus board. Again, played against grown men this year, averaged 17 points, 10 rebounds, one and a half assists, about one block, one steal, shot 54% from the field, which is the highest of this group so far, but 30% from three, but 79% from the free throw line. And G League free throw shooting is a little weird and, and sort of hard to translate with the one yeah. free throw for most of the game. So I, I still haven't figured out how that really uh, compares here. But I don't I don't know what to make of Leonard Miller just because he's a big dude. He can handle the ball a little bit. He rebounds hard. I don't know that I buy the shooting. So I, I just I'm not sure what his NBA role is. So so if anybody hasn't seen Leonard Miller. Uh, Erson, can you kind of explain for them what they what we might be getting if uh, he ends up on the Wizards in some way? I think what you're getting is if you want to play in this modern NBA is with multiple ball handlers mm -hmm. and you don't have it at the forward position, I think he's the guy that you have to take. He, he, grab but and go potential yeah. is through the roof with him. Yeah, exactly. And I think Porzingis is a guy that can handle the ball a little bit. Yeah. But having a guy like Miller and Porzingis, I think although I don't get I see an awkward fit. So I mm -hmm. don't for the Wizards, I don't think it's Leonard Miller is going to be a, a very good option on draft night. Agreed. But in terms of talent, I like him a lot because last year he came out of nowhere as the mystery guy. Not saying it's our mystery, but he was really was, young yeah, compared really young. to those guys and hadn't been productive yet for anybody. Yeah, and he was playing high school basketball. And I was talking with his one of his coaches on Twitter, mm. and he was saying, like, this guy. Next season, people are going to talk about him, and they are going to talk about how fast he's going to learn things. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? And he's like, he's not playing basketball at a high level for that long, but he picks up things so quickly. In terms of feel for the game, he's going to be a high feel guy. I think that's what you should focus on if you're going to watch him at the Ignite. And this year, I was watching a lot of Ignites. Of course, for good. But Leonard Miller was trying different things, just like last season. Tyson Daniels wasn't the primary ball, and he earned those reps mm -hmm. because Jaden Hardy wasn't efficient. Right. And this year, in the games that school didn't play, it revealed the Leonard Miller show, and later on the CC Soko show. But Leonard Miller was showing different things, as a, you mentioned, as a rebounder. I think he's a very good rebounder. I think he had 20 rebounds the, against the Capital City Go-Go, if I remember yeah. correctly. So our own G League team you know, got to see that. Muscling these guys, you know, yeah. grown men. 
Yeah. And I think his positioning was very important. I think Coach Hart was really focusing on, you know, teaching these guys what is going to happen to them in the NBA against stronger guys. His positioning was very well, man. And I think in terms of fuel for the game, he was, if you look at his last few games and compared to the first, you see a world of difference. So if you're looking for a guy that's going to be, you know, uh, maybe more of a high-end role player as a secondary ball mm-hmm. handler in terms of his shot isn't really good. So that's something that's going to be a swing skill for him. But he's showing the whole package in terms of offensive versatility. You know, with his passing, I think he is a very good screener, but not in the screen as in terms of, you know, he can really sort play pick and pop as mm-hmm. a real threat because teams will be all confident to let him shoot. I think the jumper is a bit off and it yep. needs some work. But at this age, it's not, it's not an issue at all. But what I saw is that he was recognizing different schemes. He recognizes switches very well when he needs to. You know, in to- overall in rotations. I think he's really taking the next step in the defense. That's what I focus first on watching a guy. I think the offense is in need of serious context because... Because as you say, the G League game isn't really comparable to the NBA. But on the other hand, all those guys that went to the Ignite so far, they all panned out in a way, man. Except for the one that the Wizards yeah. took the last time. Yeah, around. They, except uh, they have thought, but he hasn't really had the opportunity to play. Yeah. And the other guys, they did. Bochamp didn't really get an opportunity this year. I don't know the context behind that, but Leonard Miller is going to be a serviceable, I think, a serviceable role player in terms of, you know, just talking about importance, not about these guys mm-hmm. in at all. Just like Kevon Looney. He thrives on the role and he thrives on it hard. And he makes everyone around him better. I think Leonard Roll can be a, a guy like that with his handling, with his passing, and with his decision-making at his age. I think that's going to be a very solid role player. I see some guys have him in round the lottery. Some people have him in the second round. And I'm in, I'm in the late lottery mid yeah mid first round type range because what this what this guy told me everything happened in the year I was like okay man if you're going to play in the playoffs these are the guys that's going to bet on because you know he can handle it yep. in terms of schemes recognizing players the feel for the game that's what you bet on with Leonard Miller in terms of skills I think he's still a bit raw mm-hmm. Of course, at the end of the year, he went crazy in the G League. But the context behind that is at the end of the year, the rosters are the same as the beginning of the year. So I don't want to, you know, inflate the numbers. But I don't want to downplay the numbers either because they are impressive. And they are a testimony to his hard work that he's shown throughout the whole season. So I like him a lot, man. I, I do but too. I don't I, like him for the Wizards, to be honest. Agreed. And that's where I'm at, too. I think if you can find a way to just help, like, move the needle for your team without even being super developed from a skill perspective, I think that's huge. And and to your point, I, I listened to this uh, Paulo Banquero interview on, on the Woj pod this week, and he talked about their team kind of prioritizing just basketball players and, and multiple guys that have positional versatility and multiple guys who can put the ball on the floor and grab and go and things like that. I think that's so big in today's NBA. And I, I can see a world where Leonard Miller does that for an NBA team. It's just if he shoots it well enough to be somebody the teams have to respect from the perimeter and things like that and, and how um kind of the rest of those skills like you know fully mature will, will be interesting uh just moving to the next guy here um Noah Clowney out of Alabama uh freshman again on a very good team so 
you know, maybe the raw numbers aren't aren't as good as they would have been for some of these other teams, but he averaged about 10 points, eight rebounds, uh, less than one assist, less than one block, less than one steal, shot 50 or 49% from the field, 28% from three, 65% from the free throw line. To me, like Clowney is, I don't know, probably a center that isn't really bulky enough to be a center, but he's hyper athletic. So maybe he gets away with it. I, I think he's 28th on that consensus mock. I've seen some of uh, our fellow draft Twitter community folks that have him like fringe lottery. I, I can't really get there, but maybe that's partly weird context um, next to the guys he played with at Alabama. But uh, so I'm a little probably lower on Clowney than than some. Uh, what do you think of Noah Clowney's game? I like him a lot, man. In terms of fit, he came to the NBA at the right moment, I think. And I think Alabama this season is having that analytical approach, no mid-range, just yep. layups, just threes. Dunks and, and threes, yeah. Yeah, especially. Yeah, exactly. And he's playing as a very serviceable role player, as a connector piece in that brand of basketball that mm. a lot of teams are trying to play. I think that was the main reason why he's he's so valuable in terms of draft stocks and why some guys are very high on him as a fringe late lottery guy. I think in terms of, you know, the three-point shooting, a lot of people are talking about, ah, don't buy the shot, the numbers are not good. But I don't really care about the numbers because the form looks good. Mm. And he gets to his spots, man. He gets to his spots because he's such a good screener. Yeah. And not he's to a make fluid it, you mover know, for a big guy too, I think. Yeah, exactly. The fluidity plays a big role as well. And not to make it a, a nationality type of thing, but if you look at the NBA today, if you look at the center position, how many American centers are starters for that team compared to international players? Mm. At the center position, the international players are taking over. And that's mainly because screening is so important. And in college basketball, most big men, they just force the ball and to take a decision. Yeah. But in Europe, especially... It all starts with the fundamentals, and the athleticism matters less. It's a good in point. youth tournaments, Team USA dominates because they have the best athletes, and they can, you know, just outplay you, outpower you. But in terms of screening, you see that in very few players. I think Bam is a good example of that. But outside of Bam, and I think that's why Team USA wasn't really had good depth in the center position. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say is, Clowney can be that guy, just like. For example, a guy like, not on Bam, but as a, a solid center that's going to space the floor in terms with his screening, that's going to dribble handoff, make it, make it efficient that he's winning space with his dribble handoffs, that he's going to be making the ball handler more comfortable, you know, to find his own shots. Because in pick and roll, well, that's maybe the most common play in today's NBA. Yeah, with his screening, he's making guys around him a lot better. And I think... If you look at, you know, especially when evaluating guards, we have to consider the big man. And Noel Cloudy made guys like Quinterly, not to, you know, talk down on Quinterly, but he made a guy like Mark Sears look like a very good guard. Mm -hmm. To me, he's not, but not to disrespect him or Quinterly or something like that, but just to show how solid Cloudy has been in terms of playing as a complimentary player. Uh, I think it's played a big role in Brandon Miller's showcase this year as well that's a good point i hadn't thought about that to be honest with you and that's something the wizards have brought in um former center marching gortat to come teach teach these guys how to screen and unfortunately the gortat screen uh didn't work as well for gafford this year he got called for way more moving picks than normal but 
Um, maybe he just needs a, l- yeah. a little bit more time to fully get the the nuance of, of how to set that. Uh, would, but that's a good point. Like, I you, like him, man. That's the main and awful. Sorry to interrupt, but that's no, the main thing I like about Clowney, man. As a screener, it's a complimentary piece. Uh, I will have to go back and watch for that because I honestly didn't didn't get that the first go around. So that that's a good point. Um, the next guy is sort of interesting, in, in maybe kind of in comparison to Clowney. Got uh, Jalen Wilson from Kansas on here. Extremely, extremely productive at the college level. Maybe not the most efficient, but uh, older player, you know, so he's taking a little longer to develop. 20 points per game, eight rebounds per game, two assists, half a block, one steal, 43% from the field, 34% from three, 80% from the free throw line. I think I'm higher on Jalen Wilson than most. Consensus board has him 35. I would have him as a first round pick. Uh, I, I think for me, the power forward position is now the most important position to get right in the NBA because it, it has to be able to do multiple things. He's a maybe a guy that's not the best fit for the Wizards, but I trust him to handle the ball. I trust him to put the ball on the floor a little bit. Another kind of grab and go sort of guy. I, I would be really excited for him to be on the board at like 41 for for any team or something like that. And And I just said the fit's not perfect for the Wizards, but... At 41, I would give it a shot if he's around that long. I buy the shooting maybe more than the numbers dictate. I like the form. I think a lot of that was shot selection and them kind of forced context of like needing some spacing out there with guys like Dewan Harris that don't shoot it. Uh, Kansas also had Kevin McCuller, not a great shooter. So if Jalen Wilson didn't make some threes, they basically was just Grady Dick was the only other guy that was going to shoot it. So um, I, I think he's better than the percentage he can guard a little bit on the wing, I think. Um, so that's also helpful. Uh, but I also just kind of like watching Kansas play. And I think Bill Self is smart about getting the best out of these guys. So I don't know maybe as much about the NBA context. Uh, what do you think about Jalen Wilson's prospects? Man, I liked him a lot last year. I was thinking like this guy has to be featured with a bigger role. And last mm-hmm. year he was in talks of, you know, do I declare for the draft or do mm-hmm. I come back? And he had to defend the national championship. I think that's the biggest honor for these college basketball players. Sure. If you win, you got to defend it. And I understood why he came back. Mm-hmm. And I, especially, I agree with you on the numbers 100% because he was the main guy and he had to take the tough shots when he didn't need it to. And they don't have a lot of good shooting on the team, except for Grady Dick, of course. But despite that, he really took this team and brought them to the number one seed. I think that means a lot. In terms of you know getting an NBA ready player, I don't know what's the best role for him. That's what I struggle with. He's kind of like but... a poor man's Kuzma to some extent, right? Like, yeah, not going to shoot super efficiently, but he can handle the ball. He also like is not afraid of the moment or to try to take over games, but probably a little smaller and a little less athletic. So I don't. Again, I don't. I'm totally with you on the what's the fit, but um, yeah. He, he, he's got stones in a good way. So I, I think um, that there's something to be said for that too. I struggle with it as well because I think he, Kuzma has, he has the opportunity to show it. And if this guy has the opportunity, everything can happen. It sounds cliche, but we don't know because the role that he plays in Kansas, the number one guy, you don't have a lot of spots for those guys in the NBA. Yep. No one is going to give him the ball in his hands. So he has to earn it with his three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. which isn't better than most of these guys that are going to be projected in the first round. So that's not a, 
um, you know, something that's giving him the edge. But what does give him the edge is he's going to be a leader. He's going mm-hmm. to be a presence in the locker room. I think that means a lot as well because Kansas were the champions and they were the number one seed. I think that's huge, man. Or the number two, sorry. I forget who. I totally keep, sorry, Alabama was the number one seed, right? But they Kansas were was, one was in the bracket, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were a, an elite team for this year and largely yeah. part to do with him. To they me, had two guys leaving for the NBA, yeah. and they came back and still were delivering. So I think that's mostly on him, yeah, and Grady Dick, and most of these very good role players that they have. Like McCuller, I like him a lot too. Same. So to be honest, I struggle with uh, Jalen Wilson, man. I don't know. To me, he's the a little bit very hard. He's a little bit like the forward version of Johnny Davis, and Wizards fans are probably like cringing right now. I don't know, just given how most of us <laughs> have seemed to feel about Davis over the course of the year, but. Super productive, not crazy efficient, not an elite athlete, doesn't really have a swing skill. But again, if you're taking this guy at 40, that's much different than taking that player at 10. I I would take the chance here. All right. I've got like six more names here on the list. So five more names, six more names, something like that. I'm just going to throw them all out here at once and we can choose to just touch on whichever ones you think are interesting. Some of these guys are, are a little bit more uh maybe wings than than some of these other guys we've talked about um but but just given their sort of full skill set I, I put them in this kind of grouping too so um 42nd on that consensus mock is dylan mitchell freshman from texas six foot eight super super athletic not very productive this year uh four points four rebounds uh, 63% from the field, which was good. He effectively played like a very small ball center kind of vibe. He made no threes all year, shot 40% from the free throw line. I do not buy the shooting at all, but is instantly one of the best athletes in the game. Similarly, you've got Jordan Walsh from Arkansas, six foot seven, crazy athletic, seven points, uh, four rebounds, one assist, one steal. 28% from three, but 71% from the uh, free throw line. So probably a, a little more projectable jump shot than Mitchell. To me, I just put them in the four category because they've both probably got big men offensive skill sets for for the time being uh, and, and probably have to be like switchable athletic wings. You've got Nikola Jurisic, who I have watched no minutes of whatsoever. So you're going to have to fill me in there a little bit. Six foot eight, uh, played for Mega Basket this year, 12 points a game. Um, 19% from three or 20% from three, which is a little questionable. You've got Coleman Hawkins from Illinois, six foot nine, 10 points a game, six rebounds, three assists, sort of more of a playmaking power forwardy type guy, only 28% from three, 61% from the free throw line. Another one of those sort of wingy type forwards, Arthur Columa from Creighton, six, seven, um, 12 points a game, six rebounds, 31% from three, 34% from the free throw line. And then the last one, Kobe Brown of Missouri, 16 points per game, six rebounds, two and a half assists, sort of more of a playmaker than a lot of these guys. So um, 45% from three this year, which is great, and about 79% from three the line. So I threw a lot of names at you there, a lot of names for people listening here. Of those guys, who who do you think is worth spending some more time on here as we start to wrap this thing up? Well, I was like, when the season started, Dylan Mitchell was a top 10 recruit. Yep. And that... A lot of people kept him in the first round for as long as they could. Yeah. I think Dylan Mitchell isn't the interesting prospect for the Wizards, but he's more so an interesting prospect for teams like that that figured everything out. There's like mm-hmm. the Nuggets, the Warriors, etc. Yeah, they just a need a complimentary player. Yeah, 
turn him into a guy like Kevon Looney. Mm-hmm. Develop one elite skill and just, you know, use him for that elite skill. And I think Dylan Mitchell has a lot of skills that he can learn with athleticism. But the production was, nah, it was not there, man. I think I'm not the guy that does production that much, but you have to show something in college, man. And he doesn't show anything. So he, I think he and Walsh really are the two him. guys, I would say, just go back to school another year and yeah. try for next year's draft. Yeah, exactly. And Walsh showed a lot of defensive versatility. And he came on big when his team needed him because yeah. he, in the games of the, that Arkansas won, he was impacting these games. I think that's big for the role that he played behind. Anthony Black and Nick Smith Jr., Ricky Council. He had no chance to be featured, but he let his defense talk for it, you know? So that's something I respect a lot. In comparison to Dylan Mitchell, who was more of a dunker spot finisher than everything, Jordan Walls was showing different things. So that says these two guys apart from me. Regarding Nikola Juricic, I was, at, if you look at NBA DraftJunkies.com, not to put a shameless plug or something. No, please I plug away. About him. Yep. I wrote an article about him, you know, you know, talking about his role in the NBA that he can fulfill. He, the, the numbers don't indicate what he's shooting because he has a beautiful jumper. I think that's okay. a guy that we can touch on shortly. Sure. He has such a beautiful high release, 6'8", leverages the thread of his jumper very well to play make. He's a very good pick-and-roll playmaker. So if you're looking for a guy like Monty Morris with a little bit more offensive versatility, a little bit more to showcase, that's a guy that can be interesting for the Wizards at 41, Nikola Juricic. And but the defensive end, that's where it's you know, that's where the challenge is because he's not a good athlete mm-hmm. and he's not, you know, in terms of you know, the feel for the game and the defensive end is way different than the offensive end. So that's going to be that's the main reason why I think he's going to fall to the second round because he's not ready to play playoff minutes at all. But on down the stretch, he can be a very good secondary tertiary playmaker with his play, pick and roll, especially in the pick and roll. Mm. And he's a very, I think he's a very good shooter at the NBA level because oh. these these tall guys, 6A with a high release, these are the guys that you're looking for. But the numbers tell a whole different story, but because he was so inconsistent because... He was playing in pros. He yeah, this grown man. I think it was this Sunday. Yeah, he played his last game in the playoffs. Five points, three assists, one for eight shooting or something like that. In the games that matter, he wasn't able to showcase his talents. Mm-hmm. That says something, of course. That's not going to bring you in the first round. But if you're going to bet on the scale in the second round, develop him in the G League or maybe stash him for one more season, he's an interesting guy. I think for the Wizards as a secondary creator off the bench. And regarding the other guys, Kobe Brown, I haven't watched a lot of Missouri this season, so I don't know, to be honest. And, you know, neither, I don't neither know why. Mine, by the way. I watched yeah. him last year and wasn't overwhelmed, um, but the numbers are super impressive. So, uh, yeah, worth worth doing a second look on, at least on, on my end here. If the Wizards have the yeah, exactly. second to last pick in the draft and he's around 60, seems like a good blend of, of still upside untapped and, and actual production. Yeah, exactly. And who are the other names that you have? Uh, I had Coleman Hawkins on there um, and Arthur Kaluma. Again, I, I think even like, Kaluma is probably more of a wing who can't really shoot it, in my opinion. Um, so I, I don't really see the NBA fit or role there yeah. a ton personally yet. I agree. I think Kaluma is the guy who struggle with the most, man, because he's not a four. Right. He's not a three. 
the three-point jumper at the beginning of the season was a bit shady because you didn't really know what, what to expect this season. He stayed at Creighton, and he was surrounded with a lot of ball handlers, mm-hmm. a lot of playmaking, and Baylor Scheinman came along and really took the spot that I thought was going to be his. So the context for Kaluma is not good, man, because he could be a potential top 20 pick if everything clicks. And now he's a fringe second, second round pick because the opportunity to play wasn't really there this season to his strength. And after the tournament, I, I think he was, should just go for it, you know, but he stayed. I understand why he wanted to work on his game, but it didn't turn out this way. But if you look at a guy like, for example, Isaiah Tarr, a lot of things are possible, but the fit is a bit, yeah, you're in between with the fit. I feel the same for Kaluma, man, because the shot is something that can improve. I don't think it's broken at all. The numbers, I don't value the numbers that much to the degree that this guy can shoot in the NBA or something like that. For, for, for example, he's there and the Wizards take him. I would love that, man, to the Wizards, to be honest. Okay. Because now you get a guy that has shown... Especially, I think it was the African Cup qualifiers and the World Cup qualifiers. He played for Uganda mm-hmm. that also had Mike Schmitz, I think, as a consultant yeah, or as, yeah. a, as a coach, something around there. But he was putting the ball for making plays with the ball in his hands, making role play, making isolation score. He was so no package. And of course, African basketball, the context is way different than American basketball. But that matters a lot, man. Because when he has the ball in his hands, he can make something work. And I think if you put him in the Washington, sorry, the Capital City go-go for one season, he can tear the G League apart, man. And these guys get call-ups, you know? And he's a good athlete, He's not the Wizards. Yeah. yeah, he's a tremendous athlete. I think he, I think he has the maybe the best pump fake in the college basketball. <laughs> he, he really does. Honestly, that's a, that's a yeah. great point. He just he just looked like, again, this is Arthur Kaluma. He just looked lost for stretches this season. And and you don't want to see that from a guy when he comes back for another yeah. year, but looks less like he understands what's happening around him on the floor. So I don't know. Yeah, but that again, was painful. At fifty nine or whatever, um, I, I think that's definitely worth the shot, uh, just because there is some upside there. Uh, anyone we haven't talked about here that, that you want to spend a couple minutes on? I want to talk about a guy that I'm following for more than a year. I think he's invited to the G League scrimmage or combine or but. For example, last year, Carlo uh, Matkovic, the guy that was picked by the Pelicans and stashed mm-hmm. here in Europe for one more season, no one talked about him while he was playing at Mega with Nikola Jovic. Yeah. And this season, there's a guy, Zvonimir Ivisic, mm-hmm. okay. and he's, uh, I think he's Croatian, but he's playing for a team in uh, Montenegro next to Serbia and the Balkans. They play the ABA League as well. Mm-hmm. At 7-2, he's very raw. Very, very raw. 7-2. Get, wow. Okay. Yeah. Didn't get consistent minutes at all, but he's shown so many flashes that he can dribble, pass, and shoot mm. with so many raw tools. Okay. It's all, it's all about flashes. With yeah, him. sure. Yeah. But if this guy if this guy goes to workouts, I think he can be a second-round pick that's going to be stashed by a team. Some team is going to say, okay, this guy is at that size is just if he – as 20% of what he can do, we can maybe feature him on the NBA team one day. Yep. He's still in need of, you know, a couple of seasons of consistent playing minutes. I think coming over to the United States will help him a lot because he's very tall, mm. but he's not really ready to play the American game as of today. So in terms of learning, I think he can be a guy that 
you know, should come over and play in the G League and develop in terms of, you know, maybe some functional athleticism or maybe, you know, has opportunity to showcase what he can do with the ball in his hands because in Europe, they don't put the ball in his hands at that age. I think he's 20, late 20, okay, around draft night. But I think he's a guy, man, that some people, um, you know, could be seeing his name on uh, maybe Givoni tweeted a couple of times last season, think about him. I like him a lot, but you said, you said he got a just, G League camp invite or combine invite. I'm not sure. I think he was invited to somewhere. I have to double check. Yeah, I think but maybe that's a good opportunity for these GMs to maybe see someone yeah. like that for the first time. That's a guy I would, you know, with not a focus on, but if you see his name, don't be shocked, you know, because sure. that's a guy who's going to be, he's uh, not hidden in plain sight, but no one's talking. Repeat the name for us all one, one more time. Uh, Zvonimir Ivicic is Z-V-O-N-I-M-I-R okay. and Ivicic, E-V-E-S-I, you know, with a C. I will text it to you uh, after okay. the... Yeah, I'll, after I'll the, add it to the... I tweeted a couple of times about him, so... Okay. But I think he can be a guy that, you know, if he if he gets a chance to work out here, he can be, you know, in that late second round stash. But no, no things to come over right now, but, you know, just stash him. Or let him come over, sign him on two way, and just let him play or next exhibit ten, and just finish here in the G League. Does a guy I like that want it? It's the second question, of course, but that's a guy I like, man. Oh, I love that. That's good. I'm gonna have to do some homework after this, so I uh, <laughs> feel a little smarter when I write this thing up. Um, no, that's great. Harrison, uh, a wealth of knowledge for everybody here. I really appreciate you doing it. I'm glad we finally got to do this here. Uh, again, I said this at the beginning, but but please tell everybody where they can find your work and find your content. You can find me on Twitter at uh, EDemirMBA. That's E-D-M-I-R-M-B-A. I tweet about uh, the draft nonstop, I think. I think 95% is the draft. And I try to keep up with the NBA just to know what the NBA is looking for in the draft. So that's the main reason I watch the NBA. And I love the Knicks, but I maybe watch two playoff games this season. So that tells everything about my loyalty yeah. to the NBA. I'm just you know, draft folks. And if you want to talk hoops, we can talk hoops. DMs are always open. And I love listening to Believe in Wizards, man. Uh, no cap. Because we've been talking about it before. I want to throw in a special shout out to you and Jahari White. Thanks, man. Jahari, if you're listening to this, thank you, man, for all the insights that you bring as a former NBA pro. It's very insightful to, for me. That's why I will always continue listening, man. And Matt, same goes for you, man. Shout a big shout out to you. I've said it to you before. What I love about your podcast, despite me having no connection to the Wizards at all, is you combine draft knowledge, team knowledge, NBA knowledge in general, and keep up with the most recent you know developments in the NBA so well. I think that's setting you apart from a lot of other guys in this in this business, man. And I, I appreciate especially if you're doing it as a labor of love, that's something else, you know, because we know some of these guys are doing this for a living and you know, you, you, you don't do it. I don't do it neither. So a big shout out to you and, you know, you do some great work and I have some 30 minutes in the car to listen to podcasts and I'm always listening to yours, man. So I'm going to keep it that way as well. Uh, that, thank you for having me on. Man. That means a lot. Yeah, no, thank you for doing it. Thank you for keeping me smart on all these, uh, these draft guys I need to dive into. You're like I said, you're one of the first people I go to for just like, all right, what do I need to know about this guy? Like, what am I missing here? What do I need to find out? So um, I hope everybody got something out of this. And uh, if they're not following you, they should be. So I'll have your uh, your at in the episode description here. So everybody make sure you give Harrison a follow. Um, 
everybody, you know the drill at this point. This is time where you rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We appreciate you. We're presented by betonline.ag, and we will catch you all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube